Elizabeth I inherited from her father a country that had made no provision for the poor. It's estimated about 150,000 people in need were tipped out onto the streets. So when Elizabeth took the throne, she had a, a really quite a big sort of societal problem. Anytime you're trying to do restoration to a 700-year-old building, you're going to come, come across uh, things that you did, did not expect. Welcome, everybody. Today, I'm talking to Heidi Mayer from Lord Leicester Hospital. She's the master there. And um, we're going to be talking about the history of this incredibly significant complex of buildings. So Heidi, welcome. And could you please introduce yourself and tell us a bit more about your role? Yes, as you said, I'm the master of the Lord Leicester Hospital. Um, which is which is uh, a medieval site that was built in the late 1300s um, and early 1400s. Um, and as master, uh, there have been masters at the Lord Leicester ever since that time. Um, the, the first masters were the master of the guilds of Warwick, who lived on this site. And then in the Tudor period, it switched hands and became the Lord Leicester Hospital which is a philanthropic organisation. And then the masters of that organisation have lived here on site. So I'm, in fact, the 33rd master of the Lord Leicester Hospital. And the first female one, I believe. And the first female, yeah. So there are 33 masters of the Lord Leicester, and they have all lived here and worked here and uh, um, kept this site going since the founding date of 1571. Amazing. So what's involved in the day-to-day -day running of the site so it's um it's first of all it's it's a charity a little bit like the royal hospital of chelsea uh but it's older it's about 100 years older than the royal hospital of chelsea i think lots of people are familiar with the the chelsea pensioner and his red coat and hat walking through london so we're we're, we're created and founded on the same principles as that but we were 100 years older than the Royal Hospital, and we are much smaller. But we are part of that tradition of hospitals that were created in the Tudor period. And they're not hospitals as we know them today, uh, medical institutions, but hospitals that are actually were philanthropic organisations that, that looked after the deserving poor of society and the community. And there are still what are called brethren living with you today. Yep, so the Brethren were the original uh, recipients of the charity in 1571. Uh, it was set up for 12 Brethren, um, and they were, were deserving poor, mostly soldiers who had fought in the Elizabethan Wars. Uh, and they were given a place at the Lord Leicester and a stipend, an annual stipend. So in the Tudor period, that was a pretty big deal, actually. I mean, you were set for life if you were, were given that. But the brethren were the original residents in the 15, in 1571, and they, they've, we've had brethren living here ever since. So they have a 450-year legacy, which is pretty amazing. That's incredible. Well, maybe we should mention here the, um, the reason it's named since 1571 the Lord Leicester Hospital, and that, of course, is Robert Dudley, who, of course, was... Uh, everyone knows as the fate one of the favorites of Elizabeth I but of course he was a commander in her in her army so is this was this 
a particular thing that he wanted to do because he'd because he'd you know been leading soldiers and saw the impact on them do you think well yeah that's certainly that's part of it but it's it's a bit more like most of the things in the Tudor period it's a bit more political than that okay. I mean certainly uh Elizabeth I inherited from her father a country that had made no provision for the poor uh Henry VIII uh, and the, the Reformation stopped the work of all the monasteries that traditionally had looked after the poor. And it meant that the poor of England, uh, and it's estimated about 150,000 people in need, were tipped out onto the streets. So when Elizabeth took the throne, she had a, a really quite a big um, sort of societal problem. Is what do you do with, with so many poor on the streets? And there were beggars and they were mugging people. It was really quite quite a big problem. And, and Lord Burley said to her, ma'am, you've got to do something about this problem. So she, she did. Uh, and she passed a series of poor laws. Um, and these poor laws asked that every parish set up a hospital and that the parishes would put money and tithes towards these hospitals and they would be set up to look after the deserving poor and to sort of clean up the streets which was in everyone's interest. Mm. Um, and so hospitals were set up in the Tudor period and you begin to see them sort of springing up all over England. And there are, there are definitely quite a number that still exist throughout the United Kingdom and England particularly. Now, going back to your point about Robert Dudley, Earl of Leicester, he was indeed a favourite of Elizabeth I. In fact, he was probably the man that came closest to marrying her. So you can imagine he's in this, he's in the court in London. There's lots of talk about the poor laws and these philanthropic hospitals. And he thinks, well, goodness me, uh, what can I do to please the one I love? I too can set up a hospital. And indeed, that's what he did. He lived nearby in Kenilworth in a big castle. Um, and he 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 came. He made a decision that he was going to set up his own hospital near to Kenilworth. Came riding by in Warwick, saw these incredible medieval buildings that were the guild buildings then, and said, "Aha! I would like to have those buildings, and that's where I'll set up my hospital." And so, uh, because he was a man of great influence, the burgesses of Warwick passed the buildings of the Lord Leicester or the guild buildings as they were then onto him. And in 1571, he founded the Lord Leicester Hospital. And we we still exist today as the Lord Leicester Hospital. Right. So so he picks out these buildings that are already have already got a purpose, have already been there for what, two, three, 250, 300 years by this point. So how did they function? This is a large time period, so or maybe you can explain how they functioned or how they developed from the time that the site sort of began up until it became Lord Leicester Hospital. Well, let's go back to the very, very beginning in the late 1300s when the guilds, the United Guilds of Warwick, built these buildings. And they built them over a period of about 30 years, which is quite remarkable mm. in the medieval period that you could push up a site like this, which is quite a substantive site for the medieval period, you could put it up in such a short period of time, a period of about 30 or 40 years. It says that guilds must have had really quite a lot of money and a 
quite a lot of influence to be able to put up such buildings. The buildings themselves have not changed. We have exactly the same buildings as we did from the late 1300s. Um, the only thing that's really changed is their purpose. So in the uh, period of the guilds, they were used as uh, for banqueting, for the guilds' meetings, for looking after the poor. The Great Hall was used for hospitality. Guild Hall was used for the guilds' meetings. And so when Robert Dudley came along in 1571 to found the Lord Esther Hospital, he didn't really need to change any of the buildings. He didn't add on any buildings. He didn't make any great changes because the space was already there. He just simply changed the purpose um, of the guilds running it to uh, it now becoming a philanthropic organisation uh, for, for wounded warriors and deserving uh, poor, known as the Lord Leicester Hospital. So its charter changed, but the buildings themselves really have not changed since that time. That's incredible. So I'm presuming it takes a lot of upkeep um, and expense. And we'll come back to that because obviously at the moment you're closed to the public because you, you've got a, a major program of restoration going on. Um, one of the things I noticed when I walked past the the other uh, week when I was in Warwick is Warwick's clearly an old town. You can, you can tell, but a lot of the buildings, Lord Less Hospital still stands out. You still, you get to it and you're like, goodness me, there's a Tudor building. What have I been looking at down this street? And they're, they're sort of Georgian, I suppose, I think, down the rest of the street. Why is that? Why, why are you sort of stood on your own as a Tudor building in Warwick? Um, I think that, uh, you know, one has to remember the Great Fire of Warwick in 1694. So up until 1694, pretty much all of Warwick would have looked like the buildings of the Lord Leicester Hospital. P perhaps not as grand, um, probably much smaller cottages. Um, and, and Lord Leicester, as the Guild buildings, would have definitely dominated the High Street. But all the buildings would have been these half-timbered, medieval-looking buildings. And then the Great Fire of Warwick happened in 1694. And they started on the other side of the road to the Lord Leicester Hospital. And because the wind was sweeping in the direction away from the Lord Leicester, it took the Great Fire all the way down the high street and burnt all of the medieval buildings, leaving the Lord Leicester standing. And so from 1694, all the buildings in the high street, and, and most of Warwick, in fact, are post-1694 buildings and we stand out as a as a this fine extraordinary medieval site that was able to survive that fire you do it, it's it's really noticeable when you walk walk down the road so great fire of warwick i imagine a lot of people won't have heard of that um there's a there's also a chapel on the site is because you notice the buildings the sort of timber half timber frame buildings and a chapel and a gate so you, do you want to explain the sort of the, the location of the hospital? Yeah. So let's go all the way back to even before uh, the Norman, or ju let's just say just after the Norman conquest in Britain in 1066. I think everybody is, is familiar with that. Um, the Norman conquest changed the fabric of Britain. And one of the things that the Normans did was to begin to fortify towns. 
So the the wall we think that the wall of Warwick, the the, the wall that surrounds Warwick, uh, the medieval wall was built in 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 just after 1066, um, and it protected the town. And there were gates, three gates that were put into that wall for entry into the town: east gate, west gate, and the north gate. To this day, we still have the east gate and the west gate. And the uh, 66, when the wall was built, to 1300s, the early 1300s, um, uh, it was, uh, there was a decision made that a chapel should be built on top of the West Gate. Um, there probably had been a chapel there before, uh, but a, a chapel was built over the West Gate uh, by Thomas Beecham. And it was... Uh, designed really so that if you were leaving Warwick and you were going through the West Gate, that you could stop off at this chapel and you could say prayers for your safe journey. Because if you once you left the walls of Warwick and you went out into the wilds on your way to Stratford, you could be, anything could happen to you. So people would often make prayers for safe travel before they before they left the protection of the city, and the chapel was there to do that. It was also a chantry chapel, so so it had its role, had a very important role, and it's that same chapel that that sits atop the the west gate now today, and which is part of the, the Lord Leicester Hospital. It seems quite an eclectic mix of of buildings. I mean, I, I know they're sort of built over um, a quite a short period of time, but so is that because of the different purposes of each? It's sort of got an overall purpose, but each particular section has got a um, singular purpose. I'm thinking about the guilds and how they would have used the site. Well, in fact, it's actually pretty uh, homogeneous, actually, in the sense you've got the chapel that was built early on the wall. Um, but then very shortly afterwards, you have the rest of the medieval buildings that were built around the chapel by the guilds. Uh, and so um, it's actually quite, you know, if, if all of the buildings built by the guilds had a purpose. So they built the guild hall, a bit like their corporate meeting room for their meetings, the guild hall. Uh, the great hall was built for hospitality, for their banquets, but also looking after travellers that came in through the West Gate and, and needed a place to stay the night, uh, didn't have hotels. So they could they could uh, stay in the Great Hall and get food and a bed for the night, probably a, a pile of straw actually rather than a bed. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, and then you had the master's house, um, and then you probably had a few storage and outbuildings around around the site. Buildings were built originally with very specific purposes, um, and they were all built in the same style, built around a medieval. Uh, courtyard, we call it domestic medieval architecture, with an entrance into that courtyard. So really, there, there are two distinct periods when they built. The early, uh, probably originally a chapel that was there built in the 1100s, shortly after the Norman period, the chapel by Thomas Beecham in the 1300s, and then in the late 1300s, all the rest of the medieval buildings. So you're looking now forward to the summer because let's 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 talk about the renovation which has it has has you closed to the public at the moment um which people can follow via your newsletter and instagram which i've been doing uh 
Do you want to give us a bit of background as to why the restoration is, you know, why, why you have to, why, why you're doing the restoration, and then let's get on to some of the finds because I'm really <laughs> desperate to ask you about some of the things you found while you're doing it as well. So, well, you can imagine that buildings that that were built in the 14th century, um, they need quite a lot of uh, TLC. I mean, you really do have to look after them. You can't you can't go years and years without maintaining them. Um, and it became quite apparent about five years ago that our buildings needed a lot of care and a lot of restoration. Um, and not only that. Um, you know, bits of the wattle and daub were falling out. The guttering was not good. The pipes weren't good. The electrics weren't good. Uh, and the last big restoration was in 1950s. So it was definitely time uh, for a sort of once once in a century upgrade and restoration. But not only that, it wasn't just about repairing the buildings and looking after them. We also wanted to improve the visitor experience. We, we wanted to make sure that when visitors came to look at our medieval site, one of the most important in Britain, to be fair, that they also had a good, a good experience. They had a nice visitor centre, a nice cafe, that there were museum exhibits that were warm and, and, and well displayed. So our project is not just about restoration of the site, it's also about really improving the experience for a heritage visitor. So, uh, so it's, it's, that's, it's really a two-part project. And, um, and, and that's why it's taken us quite a long time to do it, because it's not just simply doing building works to re restore the wattle and daub. We're actually changing the whole look and feel of the inside of the place to upgrade it to modern times. This is going to be good. Now you've come across some th some things that you knew were there. I I think from what I read, um, there's there's a couple of other little things. I think I saw a cupboard um, on <laughs> on the Instagram post that was something that hadn't been seen for quite a while. I know it's a cupboard, but you think it's a cupboard? Someone built that cupboard. What were they using the cupboard for? Um, I love little things like that. But you've also got the commemorative seal. Um, which commemorated the visit of James I, which has been covered up, I believe, for a very was a Victorian ceiling, I think, got put. Do you want to tell people about that? Yeah, so it's always fun when you're doing a restoration of a building like this to find out the secrets that lie within the walls and the floorboards. Um, uh, and, and we have found a couple, some that we knew were there, but some that are surprises. Uh, don't forget that there was a restoration in the 1950s. So really old finds were, were probably found in the 1950s. But even so, even so, that said, uh, let me let me run through a couple of the fun things that we found. Um, as you said, uh, we we have uncovered the seal, and the seal was put up in the Great Hall to commemorate the visit of James the First to the Banqueting Hall of the Lord Leicester in 1617. Uh, James I came to dinner here because uh, the castle, he would have gone to the castle, a royal, he would have gone to the home of the noble in Warwick, but he couldn't because the castle had burned down and it was going under, uh, it was, was being rebuilt. So instead he came to the Banqueting Hall, the Great Hall of the Lord Leicester. Um, it was, by all accounts, it was an amazing feast. 
Um, it cost the town, I think they were in debt for about 10 years to pay for the feast. But they did, nevertheless, put up a seal. We're not exactly sure when they put it up, but they put it up on the wall of the Great Hall to commemorate uh, that very, very important event of James VII's banqueting in the Great Hall. Um, I have no idea why, but for some reason uh, during, in the past, uh, and this, it's likely it was in the 1950s restoration, a decision was made to cover up the seal. And ever since, uh, you know, the last, what is it, 70 or 80 years, we've known that the seal has been hidden behind a wall. And so we've been very excited about the moment that we would uncover it and see the seal. And that happened a couple of weeks ago. Um, and it's there. And we will keep it uncovered for everyone to see. We'll, we'll spruce it up a little bit, clean it up a little bit, put some nice lights on it. Um, but, it but it's really exciting. And, and um, it, it's, uh, as my architect says, it's a contradictory bit of history because you've got the, uh, the ancient seal and then you've got the 1950s timbers and, and roof areas that we've uncovered. And you can see the two side by side. Um, so it's it's a lot of fun. It's a lot bigger than we thought. Is it's, it? act, it's, it's actually about seven foot high. Uh, and so a lot, lot bigger. I mean, you'd think a seal might be a couple of feet across, but it's really quite a big, big piece of work and it dominates the Great Hall. So that's what, one of the things the public will be able to see when they visit us when we reopen in the summer next year. Oh, I bet yes. you! I bet you were itching to get hold of that. Yeah, see that. I bet that. yeah. And we 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 had actually run um, with our court leet here in Warwick. We'd actually run a couple of fundraising events to raise the money to reveal the seal. So uh, it was a, a Warwick community of uh, um, event as well. So they they're very happy about seeing that as well. So what? So what are the other little things we found? Well, one one of the things that I personally love is. We, uh, the builders were in the Brethren's Kitchen the other day, which has been a kitchen ever since the, the guilds, the time of the guilds, but then also from 1571 when the Lord Leicester was founded. Um, and it's where the cook has cooked the food for the Lord Leicester, for the community. And, uh, you know, cooks have rules, the rules in the kitchen. And our, our cook, apparently, in the mid-1850s, had some very strict rules. And they were written up and they were put in the wall. Um, and there were things like uh, rule, I think rule number seven was the brethren and their wives will not bring their slops into the kitchen and put them down the sink in the kitchen. Um the, the cook will be allowed to peacefully cook dinner in time for one o'clock and should not be disturbed until that time. So there are all these very cute little rules that come out of the, the mid-1800s. And the builders literally uncovered the, the cook's rules written on a piece of wooden board in, in a wall. They pulled the, the plasterboard down and there, there, there were the cook's rules that had been hidden probably for 70 or 80 years. So since the time of the 1950s. So that, that's my personal favourite. Um, the other little things, as we pull up the floorboards, we find lots of fun things in floorboards. We find old pipes, old cigarette packages, matches, um, uh, photographs of people who've hidden them in the floorboards. 
and notes that people have hidden in the floorboards. And so together you, you, you begin to create this lovely social history about uh, bygone times here at the Lord Leicester. There must be quite an energy there. I'm just thinking of it's so it's been constantly occupied. You never had a time of it not being. All those humans who've lived and met and worked and stayed in that in your in, in the in the in the hospital. That's quite a lot of human history in one place. Yeah, well, it's been inhabited since the late 30s, well, probably before the 1300s, actually. So you've got you've got a community that's un, an unbroken story of community for almost 700 years. So so it's quite a story, actually, a completely unbroken legacy of community and philanthropic living in one place. That that really is quite a story. Of course, I always get when you when you say there's quite I think you said there's a good spirit there or energy yeah energy uh, people always ask me the question about I get the inevitable question about ghosts at the Lord Leicester um, because they know how old it is and they know that people have lived there um, and I, I do get I do get questions about ghosts um, there, there are a couple of reports of of a monk uh, in a cowl um, that is that that is uh, lives in the Great Hall, um, so you know, we've got that story. Um, we we've got the story of the gardener in the garden, who is seen from time to time gardening in, in uh, um, Victorian clothes. Um, so there are stories. Generally speaking, there's a really good energy though. Well, even if we do have ghosts, I'm sure they're all benign and they're all. Um, they're all they're all good ghosts. They're not bad ghosts. They had they had nice times at the hospital, so we're we're not dealing with any problematic spirits. <laughs> no. Now, um, you've mentioned the kitchen a couple of times, and this always intrigues me. After I visited a um, a, a, a priory in Salzburg, and you can still visit the hall there and eat as you as they have they have done obviously without the reformation without, without the dis dissolution of their monasteries um and it's a mate it's it it's i thought oh, well, there's nowhere in in england where we can do that because all the monasteries went um you know this place where there's been the continual hospitality for travelers but of course you are then one of these places so once you're once the uh the cafe reopens on site that's that's the thing that's being brought back i love that idea yeah well it's you know we tell a great story you know we're we're one of the most important medieval sites in britain we've got this 700 year legacy of community living in the same place um we're a central part of warwick one of the great stories about warwick um so uh, and it's it's really quite a unique community so we definitely have a story to tell and that's one of the reasons we wanted to spend time on our historical interpretation and upgrading the visitor experience um and it's not just the buildings of course either you know we we have our gardens 500 year old gardens um, and they're as much part of the site as the buildings um and 
together the gardens and the buildings tell the story of community living where you you grow your produce in the garden you bring it into the kitchen you cook it everybody sits there communally and eats whether it was in the guild period of the guilds or whether it was lord leicester so you've got this sort of harmonious uh living in in, in one communal site so uh, and then you've got stories of all the individuals that lived here we've got lots of stories that we've been able to uncover about soldiers who lived here soldiers that came from war in india battle of waterloo the charge of the light brigade and they all fought for their country and then they came back to live in their later years peacefully at the lord leicester and they have these wonderful stories about exciting lives um, and then they bring with them their medals their swords the, the weapons they used, um, and they bring with them tales of exciting living and fighting for your country overseas. Um, and you can imagine them all sitting around the fire in the Brethren's kitchen, relating the stories of bygone years. So that's a big part of our historical narrative as well. And do you have a, a great archive? I'm imagining a fantastic archive that you have access to. Yeah, yeah, of course, absolutely. We've got we've got archives and artifacts, and um, a lot of them come from the 1500s. They're not much earlier than the 1500s. So what we see from 1571, when we were founded by Robert Dudley, Earl of Leicester, we see a lot of official documents, um, and they're amazing Tudor documents, massive documents with big uh, wax seals and glamorous writing, and they are the Acts of Parliament that. Um, uh, created this place, the statutes and rules uh, by which the residents here would live by. So we have these wonderful Tudor documents. And then ever since the 1500s, you have this record, letters, accounts, um, new acts of parliament uh, for the Lord Leicester. So you have a, pr a pretty good record and sense of what life was like. You even have the master's book where all the masters from the 1600s have, have written entries of the most important events. So a bit like a journal that spans, spans 400 years. So, yeah, we absolutely have got this historical narrative um, that gives us really good insights to the way life was, how pe people led their life here in this community, but not, unfortunately, pre-1500s. So that's the one period we don't know very much about. We really don't know what the guilds did here at the Lord Leicester, they weren't called the Lord Leicester then, of course, they were the guild buildings. But we really don't have much information about what they did here um, and what happened on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, and that is the great area of research that could be undertaken in the future. So we spoke about the buildings, a little bit about the gardens. Um, what kind of artefacts have you got i've seen a picture of an inkwell which was quite intriguing with a padlock on it which i've never seen anywhere else what other sorts of things could will people be able to see when they um when they're able to visit again well things like uh, the, the chair that was built for james the first when he came uh to the banquet here in 1617 a special chair was made for him and it was an extra wide chair because the story goes that um james the first wore lots of padding um, because he was worried about bomb attacks. Um, so he, he wore lots of padding around his body. So they had to create a chair that was wide enough for him to sit in. Um, so we, we've got the James I chair. Um, as I said, we've got all the, the personal belongings of the brethren that have lived here 
that have come here from from the wars, from wars. Uh, we've got pikes from the Civil War, muskets from the Chartist riots. So every period from the 1500s has got some artifact that remains here that we'll we'll put on put on to display. Oh, and the other wonderful thing that we've had made, uh, which I think is a lot of fun is we've taken, because a lot of our story revolves around Robert Dudley and Elizabeth I, we've taken a look at the paintings of them together and we've created, recreated the costumes that they wore. Um, uh, we've got a wonderful student seamstress um, that, that on commission from us recreated a lot of the costumes uh, of Elizabeth and, and Robert Dudley. So you can see those. Also costumes from the medieval period. Thomas Oaken, who was the master uh, in the 1500s when Robert Dudley acquired the buildings. He was the master that had to hand them over to Robert Dudley. We, we've got his costume um, that's been recreated from uh, carvings of Thomas Oaken. So, yeah, a lot of fun things. Sounds, sounds like it's going to be. A, a must that people need to come and see when they're at Warwick and like you've you've mentioned um earlier how Robert Dudley lived at Kenilworth so that's not far away so it's perfect um or you could do you could do Kenilworth St Mary's where Robert Dudley is is buried and Lord Leicester Hospital um that would exactly. be quite a good good combination to do yeah. um when are you due to open do you have an actual opening date yet yeah we're planning for the summer next year summer 2023 if if everything goes according to plan okay well i'm, I'm <laughs> definitely going to be um keeping my eye out because i, I would love to bring a, a a group to to you anyway um as well as me coming and <laughs> having a nose around how much of the um complex is op will be open to the public obviously you need space for offices and things like that but you know do the public get to see the majority of the site yeah they do actually and um, in fact we're opening up new areas uh, that haven't been opened up before so we're opening up the chaplain's dining room uh, where all the new historical interpretation exhibits will be for the very first time we're opening up a section of the master's house the oldest part of the house that was built in the late 1300s so that's being opened up um and we are we are actually opening the warwick wall the medieval wall outside uh, that people, most people really realise that there is a medieval they'll be able to the complex actually. Don't forget that part of our complex is residential because we still have the brethren living on site as they have done since 1571. So there are there are lots of little cottages and lots of little places that where the brethren live that um, that are private, but you can see the outside and they're lovely. Uh, medieval Tudor and Tudor buildings that you can see. I noticed in the uh, on your website it says about where there's Brethren accommodation now, and it's referred to as the was the Anchor Inn. Is that an inn as in it was a pub, or how, <laughs> how what was the function of that? Yeah, the Anchor Inn was just outside the main gates of the Lord Leicester, and it's a lovely. Um, it's a beautiful half-timbered building built probably, I would say, early 1500s. Uh, but but it was an anchor inn, and it was 
probably one of those inns that you stopped at on your way from Stratford to London. I like to think William Shakespeare stopped there. Uh, but it, but it, it's it's a beautiful uh, medieval building, Tudor building. And uh, it, at some point in time, likely the 1800s, it became, it was acquired by the Lord Leicester and became part of the Lord Leicester complex. We talked about some of the things you found during the restoration. Obviously, you knew bits were going to be needing to be done. There's always going to be old plumbing and old electrics that are going to need to be addressed. But did you, did you, have you had any challenges that you didn't anticipate or were different to what you'd anticipated? Well, I, I'm sure you can imagine that anytime you're trying to do restoration to a 700-year-old building, you're going to come, come across uh, things that you did, did not expect. In fact, you expect that you're going to come across things that you don't expect. Um, and it's the usual stuff, though. I mean, it's things like asbestos and ro uh, rusted pipes and cracked medieval walls that you have to you have to bolster with steam beams. The, the, the thing that we don't know as we go further into these works is what will we find that is of archaeological interest? Because that's always the big unknown. We're going to be digging in the courtyard and uh, we have an archaeological watch uh, when that happens. And if you're digging down several layers, it's quite possible that you come across some really interesting finds Mm -hmm. um, and we haven't yet and that will hold up that, that's great you know archaeological finds are really great they're really fascinating but not if you're a building contractor because it means then you've got to hold up the building works while the archaeologists come in with their brushes um, and they carefully move away the dirt to uncover the find that hasn't happened yet um, that's definitely as I said a double-edged sword great finds archaeological finds fascinating finds and you know when when building works happen sometimes you come across saxon remains and you and roman remains so you know that it's really no joke as to what kind of level of archaeological finds you might uncover and mm. um, and everything stops um as these are, are properly preserved and looked after as you would expect so that's mm. the unknown at the moment what will we find when we start digging up the courtyard yeah well, that will be very exciting. So I would recommend everyone, you know, signs up to your newsletter and and follows the Lord Leicester on Instagram because you're sharing things as they happen on there. I mean, mm -hmm. it would be almost unusual not to find evidence of an earlier settlement if there's a medieval town. Yeah, probably. I mean, it, it stands to reason, actually. I mean, we talked um, earlier about the medieval wall being built just after the Norman conquest. Mm. Um, and so clearly there was a, there was a, there has been a settlement in Warwick since the time of Ethelfreda when she came here to fight the, the Dane law, um, protect Mercia against the Dane law. So we know there's been a medieval or a settlement in Warwick since the 900s and probably before. So in, almost inevitably, as you dig, you're going to find uh, interesting artefacts from the past. It's it's almost inevitable. And because this was just inside the wall, the Lord Leicester was just inside the medieval wall, and it was a main thoroughfare for for travellers. Um, almost certainly, you you you're going to find you're going to find things. Mm. Double-edged yeah. sword. I mean, we we yeah. hope and also want you to be on schedule and open up as well. Yeah. 
<laughs> well, um, one of the things that I might I, I might mention if I could, yeah. um, is that you know these these capital projects, these major once in a century works of restoration and improvement, uh, they don't come without a lot of support from people, um, and we have had an extraordinary amount of support from the local community in Warwickshire, Warwick particularly, Kenilworth, Leamington Spa, you know, all the areas around the local authorities have supported us in an extraordinary way. Um, and so it's really important to, to note and to remember how much local community support we have, because it's important to the community. The Lord Leicester Hospital has been part of the, the town of Warwick since the medieval period as the Guild buildings. So it's an integral part of the historical fabric. Um, but over above that is all the the modern funders, the grant, the grant and foundations that make make this possible. Um, and in particular, we have to be extremely uh, thankful to the National Heritage Lottery Fund, who made a decision that they would support our project. They realised the historical value of the Lord Leicester and gave us a really substantial grant to um, to move forward with our project. So we could not do it without the National Heritage Lottery Fund. So they are a very important um, grant-making body for us and being successful in our project. And it's great that that, that it was recognised that your site is one. I mean, it's one of national, international as well, I, I would suggest, importance. Um, that I, I think you are less well known than you should be hopefully i you know things like this interview and we'll, you know we'll go some way to raising the profile i think once people know you're there and you're back open um there's going to be a lot of interest um now people can get to you fairly easily actually by let's assume most people are going to be coming into london if they're a tourist you can get a train directly to warwick um from london so i would suggest people really think hard and, and try and get it into um their itinerary if they are coming after summer 2023 um i am so really looking forward to to coming and seeing you um i'm getting a nice sneak preview whilst you're still in the middle of everything so i will be very careful uh and and also going to come back when when you're open um fully um and and you know we'll be, we'll be telling people more about about what i find so um thank you so much for your time today um and uh yeah we're going to keep keep an eye on on everything um it's just fascinating it's fascinating and i can't wait to to come and see you you're you're welcome Philva. thanks thanks, thanks to you too